Welcome to the Daily Brew. I'm Jordi Rezzi and you're listening to the 16th Sports Roundtable podcast on the Stanford Men's Basketball Postseason. Yes, there were things that really did derail the Cardinal, and justifiably so. But the fact of the matter is this team should have done better. They shouldn't have lost their last five games of the season. They should not be losing to a team like Washington State. They shouldn't be losing to Cal. They shouldn't be losing to Oregon State, but they did all of those things. Hello, everybody. Teddy Solomon here alongside Jabril Taha and Els Boone, and welcome to the Stanford Daily Men's Basketball Podcast. Today, we're going to be recapping Stanford Pac-12 tournament game against Cal. We're going to be recapping the Pac-12 tournament on the whole, and then we're going to be looking ahead to Pac-12 teams that are in the NCAA tournament. Spoiler alert, Stanford is not one of those teams. But we're going to start out now by talking about that loss to Cal that happened in the opening round of the Pac-12 tournament. And I'll go to you, Jabril, for a quick recap of that one to get us started. Well, deja vu for the Cardinal, huh? Last year, they were the uh, 17th in the tournament and lost to the 10-seed Cal. This year, they were the sixth seed and lost the 11th seed, Cal. Funny how things work out. Cardinal season ends the same way it ended last year, of course, in a really, really, really bad loss to Cal. Stanford shot only 37% from the field, really just never got a run going in this game. There were times where it looked like they were finally going to get on a run. A big moment. Really, they got it to within one. Lucas Kasunas had an open dunk. A Cal defender came from behind and blocked it. A dunk would have taken the lead for Kasunas. After that block, Cal just started blowing up the Cardinal. They ended up losing 76-58. to 58. So really an ugly last 10 minutes of that game. The Cardinal were really in it uh, until three quarters of the way through. And just a really, really disappointing exit in Vegas. And a fifth straight loss for the Cardinal. A taste we're going to have to have in our mouths until the fall next year in 2021. Definitely a brutal first-round exit. Els, what were some takeaways from this game against Cal? Yeah, really the story of this game was that Cal was able to slow down the pace to their, to where they like it, a slow, methodical pace. And Stanford just could not uh, speed it up at all. And Cal just controlled the, the run of play for the entire game. And another story was that Oscar da Silva made his long-awaited return Scored 12 points, but he was 4 of 12 shooting. And he really just, he looked rusty out there, but he also didn't look 100%. Uh, His touch was not there around the basket. He missed a lot of shots that we had seen him make plenty of times earlier in the season. And really, he just just was not what we needed him to be if Stanford was going to win. Another interesting thing that we were not expecting was Michael O'Connell did not start this game. He still played 29 minutes, but no start. Bryce Wills got the start in his place. Dejan Davis only 14 minutes in what was probably his last game uh, playing for Stanford. Zero points for him. So I know that's definitely not the way he wanted to go out and that's not the way we wanted him to go out. Overall, it's just not a great night for the Cardinal. Absolutely. It was just a difficult game all around, like you said. I mean, the shooting was quite poor, sub 40% from the field and from three-point range. And no players really played that well quite honestly. You had Oscar Da Silva, who who frankly was not himself. It was very clear. Um, only scoring 12 points, four for 12 from the field. You expect him to shoot a lot better than that. Um, and then Dejon Davis was coming off the bench, only played 14 minutes, didn't score. Um, Jaden Dallaire, only three for nine from the field, but he did lead the team with 14 points. Um, and then Spencer Jones, who we've seen uh, this season, has struggled at many points and once again had a very mediocre game, scoring six points. He did have two threes, but Spencer Jones has not been himself really the entire season while he has had some sparks of brilliance 
overall a difficult performance for Stanford, a really, really tough loss and somewhat of a surprising loss after the Cardinal played very well against Cal the first two times around, sweeping them, making it seem like they were going to advance to that game against Colorado. Um, But now sticking on this idea of Stanford, talking about Stanford specifically before we go a little broader and talk about the Pac-12 tournament and the NCAA tournament, um, for one, the NIT field was announced. We knew that Stanford wasn't going to be making the NCAA tournament after this loss against Cal, but we thought they still could have a shot at the NIT. Unfortunately, Stanford is not going to be playing in the NIT, so the season is over at this point. Um, So we're going to be doing a bigger reflection episode on the entire season in the future, but right now I want some initial thoughts from you guys on this season on the whole, and maybe we'll start with you, Els. Yeah, really it was just an up and down season for Stanford. Uh, the end was the end was honestly just terrible um, and not what we were expecting from this Cardinal team. Uh, I think really the downfall was a tendency to lack some serious offensive production for large stretches of a game. And we honestly, we saw that coming at the beginning of the season. I think against uh, North Carolina A&T, there was a five or six minute stretch in the first half where Stanford didn't score. And that was against, uh, honestly, just not a not a good high quality team. And that happened again against CSU Bakersfield. Um, and so against those lower quality opponents, we saw, we saw this tendency and it, and it cropped up a whole lot in PAC 12 play and really was the downfall of the Stanford team. And another thing I'd like to mention is that honest Stanford played really well when they were missing the three of Zaire, Bryce and Dejan. But when those three came back is really when Stanford's pitfalls started, they were not able to integrate them well into the lineup and Stanford didn't close out the season on a high note. And Jabril, what are some of your initial thoughts as this season comes to a close for the Cardinal? Well, first I'll touch on that NIT point and say we really don't know what would have happened in a normal year. We saw teams like Louisville opting out of an NIT bid. So, and then all, there were only, I think, four or five Tower 5 schools that actually got offered an NIT spot out of those 16 teams. And Stanford wasn't even one of the first four out. And in the first four out were teams that should have never been above them. I think UAB was one of them or something. But the NIT thing is weird. They would have made it and undoubtedly accepted a bid in a normal year because that would have meant they got to host game, maybe a game or two. So the NIT thing, I don't know how much of a big deal it is, but the big point is they didn't make the NCAA tournament. And really, if you look at their, what happened this season, they started it off started off the year with an 18-point win against number seven in the net, Alabama, looking at the final net ranking. They ended it with an 18-point loss to 165 California. We just saw so too many different versions of this team. They were incredibly inconsistent. And, El, and as El says, exact same problem as last year ended up being their downfall offensive consistency another point Els brought up the integrating people back into the lineup and this is part of the offensive consistency issue yes they had a ton of injuries and that made it really hard to get people back in the lineup coach has always points out that they the top the five starters that opened the season against Alabama missed well over 30 games combined this season however that's not really an excuse to be losing Q3 games when you're missing one or two starters I get it if they were all out at the same time, but there are games where they had four out of five starters, three out of five starters, and still a much, much better team than the other side and still ended up losing. So that's, while yes, I understand a lot of the struggles this year because of injuries, there still were winnable games that the Cardinals dropped in really poor and played really, really poorly. And a final point I'll make that I'll also mention, the integrating people and back into the lineup. You would think that with two upperclassmen and a star freshman who obviously were gelling so well to open the year, you would think they would have less trouble with integrating lack of lineup. I, us- I haven't seen teams have this much trouble doing it, 
but unfortunately it happened to the Cardinal. And I'm sure a large portion of that was that they didn't get to spend the summer together. And as coach has talked about in this his press conference at the end of the season, he's just looking forward to having a summer with this top 15 recruiting class come in. So really it's really hard to get a read on where the program is right now. We're talking about how they're up and coming. And I think the arrow is still pointing up on the program. The issue is, this year was a year they really should have made the NCAA tournament. And there were some hardships that contributed to them not making it, but it's still a massive disappointment for fans, but the future is still bright in my opinion. Yeah. So my thoughts generally on this season, um, I think it's important to look back uh, at that game against Alabama, um, an 18 point win against a team that went on to win the SEC and to be a two seed in the NCAA tournament. We saw what Stanford was capable of. We see the talent that this Stanford team has, and it came down to a couple things. One, like you guys have both said, offensive inconsistency. Two, team chemistry, and three, coaching. These three were horrible issues for the Cardinal, and it was an incredibly disappointing season for Stanford. Um, This Stanford team that has Zaire Williams, that has Dejon Davis as an experienced senior guard, that has Oscar De Silva, one of the best players in the league, leading this team has one of the best defensive guards in the league and Bryce Wills was incapable of beating Cal in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. So yes, there were injuries this season. Yes, it was an unprecedented season and a crazy season because of COVID-19. And yes, there were things that really did derail the Cardinal and justifiably so. But the fact of the matter is this team should have done better. They shouldn't have lost their last five games of the season. They should not be losing to a team like Washington State. They shouldn't be losing to Cal. They shouldn't be losing to Oregon State, but they did all of those things. So this team could not gel as a team very clearly and they did not do what they were expected to do they should have been solidly into the NCAA tournament with an immense amount of talent really an unprecedented amount amount of talent for this program Um, and it was an unbelievably disappointing season and then lastly on that NIT note Stanford Stanford, even so, even if Stanford turned down a bid to the NIT, which they possibly could have done, uh, and even if it were a normal year, Stanford wasn't solidly into the NIT. And the reason for that is you end the season with five straight losses against teams that, quite frankly, aren't very good. Obviously, Oregon State ended up winning the Pac-12 tournament. USC and Oregon, they're both in the NCAA tournament. But Cal and Washington State are not good teams. Losing by 37 to USC is completely unacceptable. And Oregon State went on a run near the end of the season, but everybody knows that this Oregon State team lost a lot from last season, and they're not one of the best teams in the country very clearly. So a, a difficult end of the season and a difficult season on the whole for Stanford. Moving right along to our general discussion of the Pac-12 tournament, it was an extremely exciting tournament, very fun to watch, and we're going to give a quick summary of everything, talk about all the games, and and give some of our analysis. Um, Starting with you, Jabril, can you tell us about the first round and quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament? Yep, well, the tournament started off in Las Vegas T-Mobile Arena. Uh, First off, just it was awesome to be able to get in a full Pac-12 tournament, especially after last year. Missed the atmosphere, but it was really cool seeing all the families and friends in the stand of all the players. So now to the games, uh, ASU took a tight win over Washington State in the first round. They ended up losing, though, by 91-73 to to Oregon in the first quarterfinal the next day. Oregon was the first team to enter the semifinals. The other quarterfinal on that side of the bracket was Oregon State and UCLA. And Oregon State continuing their hot run to the hot end of the regular season and taking down UCLA and an insane game, an incredibly exciting game. That was a theme with Oregon State games this this tournament. 
On the other side of the bracket, first round matchups were Stanford, Cal, and Washington, Utah. We already talked about Stanford's performance against Cal, disappointing game there. And then an offensive explosion in Utah, Washington, 98-95 final score. That was another super exciting game to watch. Uh, really, and a common theme in this tournament. That side, the quarterfinals were USC and Utah. USC escaped a double overtime thriller against Utah. Excellent game there. And then Colorado had escaped a three-point win with Cal. Cal had a game-tying three with under five seconds, five seconds to go in the game that went in and out. So Colorado ended up escaping the Bears with a three-point win, setting up the semifinals of Oregon State, Oregon, and Colorado, USC. Now we'll go to L's for the semifinals and finals. Yeah, of course, the big storyline here was Oregon State and what they did. They beat their big rival, Oregon, in the semifinal, 75-64. And you kind of knew once Oregon State got to that final that their momentum was on their side. The media started backing them a little bit, and everyone noticed what they were, which is probably the biggest bid stealer in the country this year. Um, and, and they got it done against Colorado, who had beaten USC in the other semifinal and I think we had all we had all predicted Colorado to get to the final. So that was not really a surprise to us, or at least our listeners there. And Colorado played a pretty good game there. McKinley Wright taking them to the final. And then, as I said, in the final, you knew Oregon State uh, wasn't going to go down without a fight. And they, they, they ended up getting the win. And it looked like they were they're kind of trying to sell out there a little bit at the end. Colorado made a final push. And we, it didn't look like Oregon State was going to be able to hold on, but they did. And you could just see... Uh, the joy on the faces of Wayne Tinkle and everyone and everyone out there on the court. They were they were really happy to make it to the NCAA tournament and no one no one saw that coming. They were predicted to finish 12th in the Pac-12 coming into the season. Uh, so no one really saw that coming. But now, hey, Oregon State's in the NCAA tournament. All right. So I'll give some of my uh, general thoughts on the Pac-12 tournament. One, obviously, like you guys have said, is the is the biggest the biggest fact of this tournament, Oregon State, the team that was picked to finish last in the preseason Pac-12 media poll, won the Pac-12 tournament. This is a team that is without Kyler Kelly, that is without Trace Tinkle, those two guys from last season who carried this team. They were expected to finish dead last by pretty much everybody, not just the media. Everybody thought they were going to do horribly. They shocked everyone and won this tournament. Credit to them. It's an incredible accomplishment. Um, but then some other thoughts I have. One, I've been talking up ASU all season. Obviously, ASU did not get it done. They were without Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley, but that's somewhat of an excuse. ASU, even with those two guys out, should have played better. They should have put up a better fight against Oregon, but those two guys being out doesn't help. And this ASU team just had a really turbulent year, and we'll see what their future holds. Between COVID and injuries, they really struggled this year. Um, but then Washington State's another team I want to talk about. They lost narrowly to ASU, but Washington State has a bright future ahead of them. A lot of really great young players, um, including Noah Williams. Um, but then otherwise, it was about what we expected, as you, as you guys have said as well. Um, Colorado USC. Um, was a matchup that we thought was going to be somewhat of the finals in the semifinals. We thought the winner of that was going to win the Pac-12 tournament. And we were right that that was going to be a close one and that Colorado was going to be, was going to come out on top. Um, what ended up happening though was Oregon State was able to just beat everybody. So while Colorado continued to prove that they're a very strong team on both ends of the floor, a very experienced team, um, and USC also a great team with Evan Mobley, both of the Mobley brothers, plus Tajidi, Oregon State was able to come out on top. My final message from this Pac-12 tournament was the fact that the bottom of the league is not much worse than the top. That became incredibly clear in the Pac-12 tournament between Utah almost beating USC after almost losing to Washington, Cal almost beating Colorado, and Oregon State 
winning the Pac-12 tournament. So how clear could it be that what separates these teams in the Pac-12 is not immense. And it was a great Pac-12 tournament to watch because of the, the equal skill level, the equal talent of so many of these teams. Now it's time we talk about the NCAA tournament. There are five Pac-12 teams that are going to be playing, um, but I'll go to you, Jabril, to tell us a little bit about these matchups and a little bit of a Selection Sunday recap of what we can expect. Well, I'll start off with the seeding for the Pac-12 teams. Colorado, who ended up finishing with the three seed in Pac-12 play, ended up getting to the conference finals. We all talked about the highest seed in the the NCAA tournament from the Pac-12. There are five seeds. They'll go up against the 12 seed Georgetown in the first round. Georgetown, of course, shocking everyone by winning the Big East title. So Colorado, we'll see if they can stop a hot Georgetown team. They clearly have the talent advantage. If they were to get through that one, they play the winner of the 4-13 matchup at Florida State and UNCG. So interesting there for Colorado, the highest seed in the Pac-12. Next highest seed, USC 6 seed. They get to play the winner of the play-in game of Wichita State and Drake. Interesting there to non-power six schools. So USC here, let's see if the Mobley brothers can carry this team and they would face a three seed likely in Kansas in the round of 32 if they were to advance. Next highest seed, seven seed Oregon, they'll face VCU in the first round. And they have likely a matchup with the number two seed Iowa and Luca Garza heading up into the second round. So we'll see if Oregon's small small front court can handle Luca Garza. That's a troubling matchup for me if I'm an Oregon fan. Next, the last team that's not in the first four from the Pac-12 is the 12 seed Oregon State, who will lead off against Tennessee. The winner of that game will place either the four Oklahoma State or 13 Liberty. And finally, the biggest storyline of the Pac-12 on Selection Sunday was UCLA dropping into a play-in game. They're the 11th seed going against another team that were surprised dropped into a play-in game, Michigan State. So really, all those big thieves in Oregon State and Georgetown and UCLA getting cold and losing buzzer beaters throughout the year ended up costing them in a big way as now they have to face a really good Big a Big Ten squad now. They had to face a Big Ten squad now on Thursday before they face a first-round matchup, possibly. And if they were to win that game, I believe they would face, yes, they face BYU in the first round, the sixth seed, whenever that would face either the three-seed Texas or 14-seed Abilene Christian. So those are the matchups. Els, thoughts and predictions? Yeah, that, that Michigan State-UCLA uh, playing game almost feels like an 8-9 game in a regular year, maybe even a Sweet 16 matchup in a regular year. Um, but for the predictions, I think the Pac-12's best chances of having a team get to the Sweet 16 are either with USC or Colorado. If you look at USC first, I think they I think they should pretty safely get through the round of 64 and then face Kansas, as Jabril said, in the round of 32. And I just don't think that USC will be able to get past Kansas there. But I, there definitely is a pathway there if Evan Mobley can just absolutely dominate there and Tajidi and Drew Peterson are competent and can hit shots from outside. And then as for Colorado, I have them safely beating Georgetown in the first round, playing Florida State in the second round. And I can, I can see them beating Florida State. I think those two teams match up pretty well, actually. They're both long athletic teams. Colorado has the guard advantage, but Florida State, uh, I think is just, I think Florida State plays some better defense, which is surprising considering Colorado is probably the best defensive team in the Pac-12. But Florida State's a little more battle-tested, in my opinion. I have them beating Colorado there. But as for as for UCLA, if they're able to get past Michigan State in the play-in game, I have them beating BYU in the round of 64 before bowing out to Texas in the round of 32. Those are my predictions. Um, beside, I, I don't think Oregon State gets out of the first round. Interesting. Yeah. So I would I would say that I think Colorado has 
definitely the best shot of making the Sweet 16. To me, the only shot of making the Sweet 16 um, of Pac-12 teams. This this Colorado team is very capable. And while I like what I've been seeing like from guys like Blair off the bench for Georgetown, he had a phenomenal Big East tournament. Um, I do not think that Georgetown is that good. I think the Big East is quite simply very weak. And I don't think Georgetown is going to play that well. I think Colorado's experience having all upperclassmen in that starting lineup and McKinley Wright leading the way is going to be crucial. And I do think that Colorado will win that game and then will take down a Florida State team that was unable to win the ACC tournament. Um, Then I do think Colorado will lose to a, a very good Michigan team in the Sweet 16. But I think that Colorado will make the Sweet 16 and they are that Pac-12 team that can do it. Um, on to UCLA. I think that UCLA has gone totally cold. I think everybody would agree with that, but they definitely have a lot of talent. I think they're going to lose pretty badly to Michigan State. I think that's a really, really tough playing game. Um, I think they'll lose badly to Michigan State, but if they were able to come out on top, I think they can beat, like you said, Els, a BYU team that got obliterated by USC early in the season and lost so much from last season, like Yoli Childs, like Haas, so many good players. Um, But then there's Oregon. I'll keep this one short and sweet. I think Oregon will beat VCU. Then that matchup against Garza and Iowa is a disaster for them. They won't even get close in that one, in my opinion. Um, And then uh, USC. I think USC is going to fall to Drake. I think Drake is going to come out of the playing game against Wichita State. I think that Drake showed what they're worth in the Missouri Valley Conference, had a near flawless season, including a win against Loyola Chicago, um, which is a a relatively high seed, especially for a Missouri Valley team in the NCAA tournament. Drake's a good team. I think they take down the Mobley brothers and USC in that one. And then lastly, there's Oregon State. Oregon State had a great Pac-12 tournament. We would love to see them keep winning. It would be it would be fantastic to watch, but I don't think they beat Tennessee out of the SEC, a team that has looked very good at many points this season. Hasn't been incredibly consistent, but I think Tennessee will come out on top pretty safely in that one. And Jabril, I know you gave some of your recap, but what are some of your predictions for this uh, NCAA tournament for the Pac-12 teams? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said, Els, except I do think USC gets through that first-round game. I don't see them being Kansas. I already gave my thoughts on the Oregon-Iowa matchup, and yeah, Luca Garza with that front court. The front court is Oregon's weakness. That's a disastrous matchup for them. I think all of us can agree with that. UCLA, I think they go down to Michigan State. They just haven't been good down the stretch here, and Michigan State has been playing pretty good basketball down the stretch here. Colorado, I do think, is the Pac-12's best shot to make a deep run. Yeah, I really like that Georgetown matchup. And I think they can beat Florida State. And who knows if they end up getting Michigan in the Sweet 16. Livers is out indefinitely. Can Colorado take them down? I think that's a pretty favorable draw that the Buffs got. And I really do think they're the best shot. The Pac-12 has to go deep. Oregon State, at some point, they're going to start. They're going to lose a game. I, I mean, yes, we all talked about how they were picked 12 and they just won the conference. Let's remember this team did finish in sixth place. They went 10 and 10 in conference play. They won the conference tournament. But they really, they went 10 and 10. They're hot. They have a week. They have uh, five weekdays off right now. Uh, we'll see what happens with that Oregon State team, but I really don't see them getting out of the first round against Tennessee. And now going even more general, not Pac-12, but the NCAA tournament on the whole, Let's get some final four predictions to close out this episode, starting with ULs. Yeah, for the first uh, final four game from the West and East, I have Gonzaga facing Michigan. Um, I think Gonzaga gets pretty, goes through their region pretty easily. I have them playing Virginia in the Sweet 16, and Virginia is probably going to be a little shorthanded um, because of their COVID issues they've had stemming from the ACC tournament. 
And then that that Elite Eight matchup of Gonzaga-Iowa is going to be a really fun one to watch. But I just don't think Iowa has the athletes to hang with Gonzaga for the full 40 minutes. And then as for as for the East region, I think Michigan, they're gonna they're gonna band together. I know they're missing Isaiah Livers, but the rest of their squad is still still pretty good. Hunter Dickinson is great. Uh, Michigan has some pretty good guards. So I think they beat Texas in the Elite Eight there. And as for the other side, I have Ohio State facing Illinois. Ohio State getting out of the region that has Baylor. You know, Baylor just has not been playing as well coming off of their COVID pause. And I think they're going to stumble along the way. A potential trendy pick, maybe Wisconsin in the second round over Baylor. But even if Baylor is able to hold off there, I think they go down to Ohio State in the Elite Eight. And as for the final region, the Midwest, I have Illinois getting out of there after beating West Virginia in the Elite Eight. That should be another pretty good matchup there. Kofi Coburn going up against a pretty pretty formidable West Virginia front court. Um, one, of the, one of the better ones he's faced all season, but I think Illinois gets the win. They beat Ohio State in the rematch of the Big Ten Championship in the Final Four, facing Gonzaga in the National Championship game. And I think Gonzaga uh, wins a foot race against Illinois in the National Championship. And right now my tie-breaking score is 80-72. All right, Jabril, what are your Final Four and National Champion predictions? Start with the West. I got Gonzaga coming out of the West. Not a really, not much of a surprise there. Gonzaga for Iowa in the Elite Eight. Uh, the East, I have Alabama taking down Michigan in the Elite Eight. Alabama, of course, Stanford. And it, that'd be pretty cool for Stanford to beat a fi- Final Four team. Some, uh, at least some good, something good coming out of this season. That'd be cool. Uh, I think Michigan's loss of livers ends up catching up to them. I don't think they make the Final Four. I think Alabama's a good, a really talented team and a great coach and Nate Oates will get them there. Uh, next, coming up to the South, I have Ohio State coming in over Baylor in the Elite Eight. I'm really not sold on how Baylor's been playing ever since their second COVID pause. I think they've been really shaky. I have Ohio State coming out of there. is playing some really good basketball right now. And then a team that's even playing even better basketball right now, I have coming out of the Midwest in Illinois, a team that's really grown on me the past few days. I think it's grown on everyone after their performance in the Big 12 and the Big 10 tournament. So that leaves Gonzaga, Alabama, Ohio State, Illinois, and rematch there with the Big Ten tournament final. I got Illinois taking the rematch, going 2-0 in two games against them recently. I got Gonzaga coming out to the other side, and then Gonzaga over Illinois in the final 78-71. Now with my predictions, um, in the West, totally agree with you guys. I have Gonzaga coming out. I don't think it's going to be that close there. Gonzaga's already played Iowa this season, and this is a Gonzaga team that really, Corey Kispert, Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, come out on top against uh, against Luca Garza. That's my opinion. I think Gonzaga goes to the Final Four pretty easily, honestly. I don't think they're going to face that much competition. I think they'll win by double digits every single game before the Final Four. Um, and then moving down to the East, the East is the hardest for me to predict here. I think this one could really go so many ways um, because it's got, in my opinion, the best eight seed in LSU. Uh, it's got a Michigan team that's shorthanded, as we've mentioned. Um, and then two great teams in Alabama and Texas. I think the winner of Alabama versus Texas um, is going to, in the Sweet 16, is going to make the Final Four. Right now I have Alabama, but I'm not totally sure about that one after Texas had a great Big 12 tournament performance. Alabama, though, so much talent talent and great coaching. That's what you love to see from a team. So I really think that Alabama has a good shot at making the final four. Um, And then moving on to the Midwest, I also think this Illinois team is very, very good. I think Ayo Desunmu is the best guard in the country. Um, And I think that they have the potential of going all the way. But the problem for me is Illinois
Illinois has a tough draw here. I think they'll be playing Loyola Chicago in the second round. I think they'll then have to go up against Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State. And then they'll have to take on West Virginia if they make it all the way that far. I'm not confident Illinois is going to go to the Final Four. I think that West Virginia takes down Houston and a three seed gets into the Final Four. And then going over to the South, Baylor, like you guys have said, has not been playing phenomenal basketball. Um, but I think in in the bottom half or so of this of this region, there's going to be some chaos. Uh, one, I think that Texas Tech, the combination of Chris Beard and Mac McClung, that's a dangerous duo in March. I think Texas Tech is going to make a run until the Elite Eight, where they bow out to Baylor. Baylor goes to the Final Four, eventually makes the national championship game, where Gonzaga, this unbelievable team that they've got, comes out on top takes that national championship mark few gets that title so i think gonzaga is going to win it just like you guys do but with that we've gotten a chance to talk about the ncaa tournament we got to recap the pac-12 tournament and talk a little bit about stanford's season on the whole even though we're going to be having um having a full episode in the future talking about that a, a longer recap um but it was great to discuss all of this. We'll be back. Make sure to keep tuning in and follow us at SUNBB Podcast. I'm Teddy Solomon alongside Jabril Taha and Els Boone. Thank you guys so much for listening. This episode was produced by Jordan Ratsuarson. Special thanks to Teddy Solomon, Jabril Taha, and Els Boone for hosting this series. I'm Lorenzo Del Rosario, the managing editor for Volume 259. For more podcasts by the Stanford Daily, visit stanforddaily.com slash category slash podcasts.